All right, well, if somebody hasn't already told you good morning and you are sitting where you are right now thinking, man, I came into this place and nobody has even spoken to me, good morning. Right here from the platform, I am telling you good morning. If nobody else is glad you're here, I promise you, I am grateful because I prayed for you this morning. We prayed that the invite would come to life today, that everybody would be drawn not just to, but back to the house of God today. And I believe that God is in the business of doing things in the lives of people that we've never seen done before. I think we need to give God one more praise this morning for the testimonies coming out of Louisiana Adult and Teen Challenge. I know that in this day, how many of you, it seems like your bills are just a little bit bigger and you haven't done anything different recently? Okay, so now imagine inviting about 20 people into your home and paying all of their bills and feeding all of them and the only thing that you charge is an upfront fee to try to make sure that they're willing to invest in their own anointing. Come on, somebody. And if they can't afford that, but they'll still come, then you just waive that because you're more concerned about them than you are whether they can financially afford to come see you. That's what Louisiana Adult Teen Challenge does. And I'm telling you right now, I didn't even ask my wife. She'd be okay with it. She's, gonna, she's laughing because she knows what I'm about to say. Before we leave today, we're sponsoring somebody. And if God stirs anything in you for $35 a month, we can see more people like Lindsay graduate a program and walk out delivered, set free, baptized, born again, and ready to serve God. That's worth $35 a month for me. I think when the economy starts going down and society starts pressing in, that instead of saving more, we should start giving more. Come on, somebody. I'm not going to stop doing what God told me to do because he is the one that can provide no matter what else is going on in this economy. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. I don't preach before I preach today. That just wasn't in my notes, just in my heart. Matthew chapter 5. I love the way that God uses his word to affirm and reiterate what he has always been saying. God, from the very beginning, set up a plan that Jesus came in and fulfilled, and now we are continuing to follow today. I read this week, this week, I read these Beatitudes in a way I have never read them before. Because I realized that Jesus' opening for the Sermon on the Mount was a confirmation of God promising Abram what he was going to do when Abram was still in the land of Canaan after the Babylonian, I'm sorry, after the Tower of Babel confused all the people and Abram's great granddad didn't know what to do with himself. That's a big God. He's had that plan for the last 4,000 years. And God pulled Abram out of the land of Canaan, and then he said to Abram, Hey, Abram, I need you to get out of your tent. Because your tent, is, it's a lid and it's a ceiling on what I want to show you. In other words, I need you to get out of what you're comfortable with so I can show you what you're called to. Come on, somebody. And God pulled Abram out of the tent 
And then when Abram removed himself from his own comfort zone, the Lord God spoke to him a threefold blessing that Jesus is redeclaring in the Beatitudes. He said, you see the stars in the sky? Your descendants, in other words, your kingdom influence is going to be more numerous than the stars that you're looking up at. And by the way, I'm not just going to give you the stars. I'm going to give you the land. And God's going to expand and and extend your territory. This is not about financial favor. Come on. This is about kingdom building. And if that weren't enough, not only am I going to do all of that, but the whole time that I'm using you to do it, I'm going to put my hand upon you and everything that you touch is going to be blessed. You're going to be blessed in your going and blessed in your coming. Before they even knew what the blessing of Aaron's prayer would be, God told Abram, I'm going to give it to you. And then Jesus came in and said, hey, this is what blessing is. He says, blessed, look with me at verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit. He's defining the blessing. God declared the blessing over Abram. Jesus defined the blessing for us. Blessed, here's the blessing, here's the definition. Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who realize their need for him. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Hold this right here, because this is the first thing that Jesus said on his three-chapter sermon on the mount. Here's what he needed us to understand. I'm going to give you the definition, but you're going to have to give me the discipline. So for the other 150 people in the room, God said, I'm going to... I'm going to give you, I'm going to define what the blessing is. But in order to receive the definition of the blessing that I have for you, you're going to have to do your part by adding discipline to my definition. Come on, you know what happens whenever you add your discipline to God's divinity? When you add your discipline to God's divinity, you begin to walk in his divine destiny. And blessing just follows you wherever you go because you're following Jesus wherever he goes. I wasn't preaching it like this in first service. God must have something here for you this morning. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. Jesus is defining what it really means to be blessed. He continues, God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And if you missed that message, I highly recommend that you go back and allow the Lord to speak to you specifically for whatever weight that you may be carrying. Verse 5, he continues, God blesses those who are humble. The version that we read the week that I preached this message was God blesses the meek. And the Bible says, for they will inherit, the humble will inherit the whole earth. Not just the things that money can buy, but the things that money can't buy. I don't want to hurt myself preaching before I even get to the first point. 
But I'm not talking about possession. I'm not talking about material. I'm not talking about promotion among people or popularity among peers. I'm talking about joy unspeakable and full of glory no matter what's going on around. I'm talking about peace that surpasses all understanding no matter who, what, or when is persecuting you. The things that money can't buy, come on, are stored up in heaven for the humble. So humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that in due time he could lift you up. Because he can't lift up the arrogant. They're too puffed up to lift up. Come on, somebody. But he can lift up the humble. Then verse 6, Jesus declares, God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for righteousness, for his name's sake. For they will be satisfied. Come on, they... They will be full in a society full of frustrated, offended, angry, upset everybody. God says, if you'll hunger and thirst for me and my righteousness, then you can lay your head down at night and be satisfied in the rest that I have for you to be replenished in. Verse 7, because God is so good. He blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. We're going to hang our hat here for a little while today, and then we'll wrap up with this one. Verse 8, God blesses those whose hearts are pure. And I just want to hold this for a second. For they will see God. This is where I get the title of the message today. Very simply, I want to see God. I want to see God be holy as he is holy for only the holy shall see the Lord. I, I want to see God. Jesus gives us what the blessing is. Come on. He defines it for us. And then as if that's not enough, it's like if you call right now, he adds a promise <laughs> to the end of it. Like if you'll dial today, come on somebody. He's not just going to give you the blessing. He's not just going to tell you what's required on your part. But then if you understand that and you humble yourself to it, he's going to add a promise to the end of it as if the blessing were not already enough. Here's the promise that comes along with the blessing that you're already walking. That's a good God. Number one, if you're taking notes. And if you're not, you should be. I'm sorry. I'm so honorary. It just comes out. I don't think about it, it just flows. Number one, <laughs> mercy shown is mercy received. Mercy shown is mercy received. Now, I had a, a, a Boudreaux Thibodeau joke I wanted to share. But telling a Boudreaux Thibodeau joke in South Louisiana is like telling a cousin joke in Arkansas. It's just not funny, you know what I mean? Just... <laughs> Every, when I make Arkansas jokes, my daughters get mad. She's like, hey, I'm from Arkansas. No, you were born in Arkansas. You're from me, and you're from your mama, and we're from Louisiana. You are not from Arkansas in the name of Jesus, okay? All right, so anyways, I got a joke. Instead of Boudreaux Thibodeau, we're going to use Billy Bob and T-Ray. I was going to use Billy Ray. I was, y'all, I'm not going to get through this. 
I was going to use Billy Ray, but that is literally my uncle's name. I don't, <laughs> that's so true. I love Uncle Billy. He's a great guy. So Billy Bob, he comes in, and he's got this lump on his chest. And, uh, and T-Ray, uh, no offense to the nickname that I've given that I've, uh, is of a guy that I, I grew up with that is way bigger than me, and I respect gratefully if you happen to be watching. Um, but T-Ray looks over, and he sees the lump on Billy Bob's chest, and, and T-Ray's like, hey, man, what's that lump on your chest? You know, and he's, he's like, oh, well, it, Billy Bob, he says, that's dynamite. And he goes, man, why you got dynamite strapped to your chest, man? Billy Bob says, well, I'll tell you why I got dynamite strapped to my chest. I got this dynamite here strapped to my chest because every time I come in here, Jethro, he slapped me in my chest and he bust up my cigarettes. And today when he come in here and slap me in my chest, I'm going to blow his hand off. Come on, that's a redneck right there. Don't even know what he's doing to himself. All right. As good. I really might not survive. The point of that really bad redneck joke <laughs> was to illustrate what we do to ourselves just to pay somebody else back. Every time that we seek vengeance, every time that we look to return evil for evil, and y'all listen, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm a payback kind of person. Do I have some payback people in the house today? I'm not a mercy shown, mercy received kind of guy. It's just not my nature. I'm like, uh, if you get me, I'm going to get you better kind of a guy. That's just what I, I got time to tell this story. My brother thought it would be funny to pour cold water on my head in the shower. Ice cold, mission trip. I got to tell you the quick version. It hit me, and it made me angry. But I refused to give him the luxury of hearing me squeal like the woman on the inside that gave me birth, okay? <laughs> so when it hit me, I very simply went, and I did my best not to make a sound. I, I got out, I cleaned up. I walked through the apartment of the mission trip, of the church on the mission trip that we were staying in. I walked through the apartment, okay, and, and, and I, I, I didn't say a word to anybody, and they were all like, oh gosh, what's he going to do? And I just walked outside, and they're like, he's mad, he's mad, what's he going to do? I went outside, and I met this Apache, we were on the Apache Indian Reservation, I can't remember his name, I said, hey. Do you have Chifo's number? Chifo is about 6'4", 260, and he is an Apache to the core. Now, not like Apache like you think Apache. He was Apache blood gang leader before he received salvation and became the youth pastor of the church. The people with me didn't know Chifo. I knew Chifo. They didn't know Chifo. I called Chifo, and I said, hey, this is Chris Fry. We're at the church. He goes, yeah, hey, Chris, what's up, man? I said, I need you to do me a favor. I need you to recruit some other very large Apaches. And I need you to dress in full Apache garb. 
We're going to be in the apartment tonight with the door cracked because we have a fan blowing into the room in the back of the church. I need you at about 2 a.m. or so to kick that door in and scare the righteousness back into everybody that dumped cold water on my head while I was taking a shower earlier. And Chifo responded, and I quote, I got you, Brother Chris. I fell asleep at about 1.30. Chifo comes in with five Apaches, and they were not wearing Apache garb. They were dressed in black. Chifo kicks the door open. The fan goes flying across the room. Chifo is holding not a tomahawk. Chifo is holding a sawed-off shotgun. He chambers nothing, makes the sound of the shotgun, flips on the light. The pastor that brought me on the mission trip, that's so funny, the jailer that was a leader in our youth group who was sleeping on the floor, and my little brother who thought it'd be so funny to pour cold ice water on my head, was laying in the bed as they kicked open the door, ratcheted the shotgun, and said, check yourself, fools. <laughs> they all woke up in the moment. My brother, I found, is not a fight or a flight. My youngest brother is a freeze in the fear of death. As the other pastor jumped out of the bed and started saying nothing. It's 2 a.m. They've been asleep for four hours. The jailer who works at the prison is crawling around in the floor looking for his glasses because all he sees is three black spots with shotguns going, I am a pay them back better kind of a person. As I jumped around the corner and began to say, yeah, suckers, y'all better check yourself. Pouring cold water on the preacher boy while he's trying to get cleaned up. All right, that's me. That's just a fun story that I didn't have time for in first service. It's the opposite of mercy. Let me give you a quick definition of mercy. Mercy is choosing, really important, not to give someone something they actually deserve. It's like when God remembers our sin no more. I think pastors, preachers mess this up. He throws it into the sea of forgetfulness. When you bring it up, he doesn't even know what you're talking about. Yes, he does. He's God. He knows all things. No, no, no. He's a perfectly holy, heavenly father who takes your sin and casts it away from you, and he chooses not to remember it anymore. He doesn't forget what he paid for. He just remembers who you could be if you'd received the payment. Mercy is choosing not to give someone what you think they deserve. James takes it a little bit further. He says it this way, New Living Translation, verse 13. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. That's scary. James is a little intense. I mean, he did lose his head for the gospel, but he was facing persecution that most Americans will never know. And he writes, there will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy. But, come on, isn't it good when God doesn't just tell us what not to do? 
Y'all pray for me. I won't forget where. Y'all pray for me today. I, I had the opportunity to pray over Pastor Weston in first service because he's going to be the camp speaker for our preteen camp. It's the tween camp. It's between kids and teenagers. And Pastor Weston's going to be there Sunday. He's the guest speaker for four services in the lives of preteens all across the state of Louisiana. So cool. I'm so glad that he's getting the opportunity and I have to stay, get to stay here. So it's going to be great for him. And I've just prayed over him. It's so It really is fun to watch uh, people that are, are alongside of you and under you walk in special anointings. I prayed over him. But I need you all to pray for me because on the van that left at 9 o'clock this morning was my 11-year-old. She's going to preteen camp. And I will be making impromptu visits to make sure that every boy on that campus knows who Adeline Fry's daddy is. And that I have been to prison. I really have, y'all. And that I am a payback kind of person. Come on, somebody. You better keep your eyes on Jesus and off of my baby this week. I will shoo you back to the church that you came from. Y'all pray for me. Y'all pray for me this week. I need mercy. We were talking about what to wear. I don't have time. I'm going to do it anyways. We were talking about what to wear, and she had some you know, clothes on. And I was like, yeah, baby, you can't wear that. She was like, I don't have anything else. I was like, okay, here's what we can do. We can go shopping. You can't wear that. We can go shopping. It's a good deal. Come on, somebody. I'm not just going to tell you what you can't do. <laughs> I'm going to tell you what you can do. You can't wear that. I can buy you something else. Isn't it good? Stop putting that on. I have a robe of righteousness that will cover you all week long. Come on, somebody. That's what God the Father wants to do. So he doesn't just say, don't do this. He says, instead, do this. If you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. The English Standard Version says it a little bit more simply. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. And then this is one of my favorite phrases in Scripture. And I have a lot of those, but this is one. Mercy triumphs over judgment. You remember a couple of years ago? When the female Caucasian Dallas Police Department officer went into the wrong apartment and shot the wrong African-American male, and mainstream media and social media was ready to tear the world down over the ignorance and the immaturity and or the ill-proper training of the officer in that moment, and the whole world, this is our, our society. Guys, the culture is so angry and so offended. And the devil is using all kinds of people to divide and build walls where God wants to build bridges. And God is calling the church to be the answer, not another issue. And this young man is sitting, the brother of the deceased victim, Brant Jean, is sitting 
in the witness booth and instead of giving his account of what he thinks should happen to the officer, he begins to share the gospel over the microphone and say, I hope that nothing happens to her. I forgive her and I love her. Judge, may I go give her a hug. The killer of my brother, may I go give her a hug. And he gets up and he runs across the courtroom and the bailiff allows the the defendant to get up as well. And you see this Caucasian woman embrace this young African-American male in the mercy of God being shown across the land. That's what mercy looks like. It's not giving someone what they deserve. It's getting away from your old mentality and your frustrations because mercy triumphs over judgment. We see this illustrated, again, just the way that God's word, this is why I like the Bible. We see this illustrated in the Ark of the Covenant. Within the Ark of the Covenant are several items. I don't have time to go over all of them or explain them. But you, you see Aaron's budded staff it's a sign of the miraculous ability of God Almighty. It's the institution of the Levitical priesthood in and through the line of Aaron and Levi. Also within there is the, the bowl of manna. And, and the manna that was only good for one day. And then if you tried to keep it or, or you tried to hoard it or you tried to you know, put it in your savings account, which I'm not against savings account. I'm just against trying to provide for yourself when God's saying, I need you to let me to produce through you. And then God gave them a daily reminder that I am your provision. And it doesn't matter how much you try to save, you could lose it all in a moment. It could turn to worms, rust, and moth can destroy. And that manna was in that bowl. It's not an accident that some years later, Jesus would say, when you pray, pray this way. Give us this day. Not, no, no, this is how we pray. Give us this Sunday. I know I hadn't been in a few weeks. I don't want to make eye contact with anybody because I ain't talking to you. But give us this Sunday because I have prioritized Jesus this day. I know it's been a few months, but today is the day that the Lord has made. I'm gonna speak to this, and, and I'm not throwing anybody under the bus. I'm, I'm just saying, in general, and I actually bounced this off of Coach Chad Andropont, so he's coming down with me today because he didn't tell me not to. <laughs> with all of the basketball and baseball and cheerleading and gymnastics and everything else that is being planned on Sundays by people that weren't going together in the name of Jesus anyways. I have a message for the church, this church specifically. If the followers of Jesus would take a stand and say, you play when you want to, you schedule what you want to, but as for me and my house, if the followers of Jesus would say, hey, listen, we can play on every other day of the week, 
because my job is actually less important than God's command to gather together in the name of Jesus. We can play on every other day and every other evening, but Sundays and a gathering in the name of Jesus is required by God, and this day belongs. If it's not that day, it's gotta be another day and or another time. But when, hear me, when the followers of Jesus say this is the day of the Lord and this is when we're gathering and we stop going to all the events that are planned, they will reformat the schedule to meet God's demands instead of us reformatting our schedule to meet their demands. But as long as we continue to think that once a summer is enough, Come on, as long as we continue to think that one Sunday a month is enough, as long as we, the followers of Jesus, continue to think that one day a week is enough, then they're going to continue to give us reasons. By they, I mean powers and principalities of darkness are gonna continue to give us reasons to be distracted and miss out on God's destiny for us and our children because what we prioritize will be passed down to them whether we realize it or not. And God put manna in the ark for us to remember that this is not a once a week, this is not a once a month, this is not a fall and or a spring kind of living for Jesus. This is an everyday kind of a thing. And then within that ark, were the Ten Commandments that none of us have kept fully for our entire lives. And then if we were feeling good about the top Ten Commandments because we haven't broken the Sabbath or murdered anybody recently, then God put the entire, <laughs> God put the entire book of the law. And encased in this ark, if you're still with me, encased in this ark is the exempl exemplary Exe the, 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 the proclamation and even the judgment of God if we're not careful, okay? Above the ark are two cherubim angels, the ones who surround the throne room of God, way more powerful than any person in this room, and they are bowed down, almost cowering down, covering their heads in humility before God Almighty. If the angels bow. And then right here in the middle of the humbled angels. And, and the coward cherubim. This light would begin to glow. And the glory, the Shekinah glory, the presence of Almighty God will begin to shine from the top of this vessel. And God's glory and his Shekinah presence was so powerful that if somebody entered into the Holy of Holies unclean, they would instantly die. The Levitical priest of the day, they would tie a rope around their waist before they entered into the Holy of Holies. Even after going through all of the purification process, just in case they held one secret or they did one thing wrong according to the book of the law. And when their life left their body, they could drag their vessel back out again. This was the power of Almighty God that should be revered and humbled before the judgment and the glory. But thank God, between the judgment and the glory, set this seal across the top. And it is referred to as the mercy seat. Because mercy 
always has and always will triumph over judgment. Come on, if it weren't for the mercy of God, we'd never see the glory of God, but because of the mercy, we get to experience and operate in the glory. Jesus shares this parable in Matthew chapter 18. It's a parable of a king and, and the servants. And this one servant, he owes the king 10,000 talents. Guys, that's a lot of talent. Come on, if you got 10,000 talent, that's a lot of talent. That is equivalent financially to around $2 billion. He owes the king. You think you got some debt. <laughs> My brother's in trouble. He goes to the king and he begins to beg for forgiveness because he's fallen short. Because he hasn't prioritized the Sabbath. Because God is not reflected in his giving and his serving. And he hasn't prioritized the presence of God. And he has this insurmountable debt of $2 billion. And he begs. And the king says, I forgive your unpayable debt. This person then leaves the presence of the king and he goes to somebody else that he wants to pay back. He goes to somebody else that owes him a debt. This debt is a hundred denarii. So that's obviously a lot less than 10,000 talents. A hundred denarii represents approximately $10,000. Still a lot of money. I don't want to owe anybody $10,000. But it's a payable debt. You could pay that off over time. It's an affordable debt if you had to take it. The billion dollars, only probably 1% of the world would ever have the opportunity or ability to pay back. But the $10,000, it's payable, it's affordable. And God is saying, listen, I paid, Jesus in this parable is showing us, I have paid an insurmountable debt on your behalf. I have forgiven an unpayable sin debt in my kingdom for you. So why would you then leave my presence and hold somebody accountable to a debt that they could have afforded? And Jesus says this in verse 32, the king called in the man he had forgiven. This is, this is the believer. He called in the man he had forgiven and said, you evil servant. Guys, this is the same phrase that Matthew used in chapter seven when he said, depart from me, you evil doer. I never knew you. You evil servant. I forgave you that tremendous, unpayable debt because you pleaded with me. Then you went out and held somebody else accountable to a debt that they could actually afford. Verse 33 says, Should not you have shown mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Verse 35, That's what my heavenly Father this is not angry preaching. These are the words of Jesus. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Because if you refuse to forgive, as my former pastor would say, that person is actually closer to God than you are because they stand between you and him based on your decision 
about what you're allowing God to do in their lives. Well, I don't know how to forgive them. I can't forgive them. Then just put them in a place where you allow God to forgive them. And let God begin to put the broken pieces back together. Come on, the good news today is that Jesus didn't just show us mercy. Mercy is choosing not to give us what we deserved. Mercy is choosing not to judge us the way that we deserve to be judged. But God didn't just show us mercy. He gave us grace. Grace is actually going above and beyond mercy. Grace is when you actually get in the way of the judgment that was coming. Jesus Christ got in the way of the judgment that was headed your way. He gave you grace, unmerited, undeserved favor. And I think that we as the church should begin to remember on a daily basis that we don't just worship Jesus when we get the promotion. We don't just worship Jesus when the rain finally comes. We don't just get the, the worship Jesus when our friends are showing us favor. And we don't just worship Jesus when the economy and the culture are actually encouraging us to. Because blessed are the poor in spirit and blessed are the meek and blessed are those who mourn. We worship Jesus because he's still the author and the perfecter. We worship worship Jesus because of what he's done and because of who he is, that he is the lily of the valley and the rose of Sharon. I worship Jesus because he got in the way of the God-given grace that he wanted to show me. And because he was willing, I am able to be restored to my heavenly father. I don't worship Jesus because of what I have. I worship Jesus because of who he is. And I think this would be a great time, New Hope, to just put your hands together and thank God for one thing that he's done on your behalf because we didn't deserve anything. Number two, and I'm closing with this. Actually, you know what? I want to show you this scripture. Titus chapter 3, this will lead us into our second point. Verse 5, Paul writes to his protege, he says, Hey, God, he saved us. He saved us. Not because of works. Not because we're so righteous and we're so holy. Because we've heard the name of Jesus more than most countries. Y'all okay? Okay. Not because of works done by us in righteousness. No, this is why he saved us. This is how he saved us. He saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. And because of his washing and his renewal, come on, number two, I pursue a pure heart. There are a few specific things that can tarnish a pure heart. I think one is comparison. Listen, anytime that you compare yourself to somebody else, you need to understand that the word of God compared you to the foolish Gentiles that didn't know any better. Hear me, this is not in your notes. Comparison will kill your calling. 
God's called you to something specific. He's called me to something specific. Your job is not to compare what God's called you to do to what he's called me or anybody else to do. Your job is to compare yourself to the one who paid for your life and your restored restored relationship with your heavenly father. Your job is to very simply do what God tells you to do. But when you compare your calling to somebody else's, then you get frustrated. And then you become greedy and you become bitter, and you become envious. When you compare your reality, come on, to somebody else's filtered fantasy that they let everybody else see on their social media, you become envious of a false lifestyle. When you compare your spouse to somebody else's, you begin to lust. And then the enemy begins to convince you that there's something wrong with the person that you covenanted before God that you would give yourself unto for the rest of your life. And the will of God is actually tied to that person. And on the day of your wedding, you were pure in heart and intent, but since then you haven't guarded your heart. Comparison. I think another thing is boredom. If you're bored, it's because you're not doing what God created you to do. My children are learning not to come tell me that they're bored. Daddy, I'm bored. Oh, really? I'm not. I have all kinds of stuff. You know what? Let's go do some stuff. Okay, Daddy, I don't like this. There's a lot of things we don't like, but they've got to be done. God didn't create you to be bored. Listen to me, God created you to know Jesus. God created you to find freedom. God created you to discover your divine destiny by the way that he designed you. And God created you to impact the eternity of somebody else, not to just casually show up when it's convenient for you and expect God to continue to minister to you year after year after year when you're not allowing him to use you to minister to anybody else. Boredom will destroy what God wanted to make beautiful. Another one is insecurity. Men and women deal with this, by the way. Men are just more secretive about it. Insecurity will cause you to crave unhealthy attention. Insecurity will cause you to pursue ungodly affection. And by the way, this is not just an LGBT issue. This is a church issue. We craved unhealthy attention way before society started celebrating self over scripture. Insecurity will cause you to begin to perform for people instead of pleasing God. When you don't know who you are, then you will do things that God didn't create you to do, to be shown favor that God didn't create you to have. We've gotta discover who we were created to be in Him. And I think another one is secrecy. This may be the biggest one. Because my pastor, that I've actually never met in person because of COVID, was supposed to. But one of my pastors, Chris Hodges, he told me through a message, just like I'm telling you, see, I don't need one-on-one 
with another individual to learn the lessons of the life that he's already or she's already living. He said, you will always be as sick as your secrets. And because you conceal your secrets and compress your true feelings, you carry those things to the grave and those things become the hindrance for what God had for you. But the Bible says, look, this is good news. The Bible says if you confess to God, he is faithful and just to forgive. And when you confess your sins one to another and you pray for one another, you won't just be forgiven, you'll be healed. Because it's one thing to be forgiven and it's another thing to be restored. Pure heart. Solomon writes this way, Proverbs chapter four, verse 23, he says, guard your heart above all else. That's a profound statement. I mean, he could have written a lot. Above all else, the wisest man that ever lived that had a whole bunch of wives like an idiot <laughs> tore the kingdom of God in half because his heart was divided, his house became divided, and the kingdom came, became divided. You know what's wrong with America? The church was way too satisfied for way too long with people being split because of their skin tone. So now our nation is divided because the church was never really unified. I think it's time that we come back to a place where we fight for the unity of the spirit no matter what society says and no matter what society does. Guard your heart above all else because God can purify your heart but he's going to use you to keep it pure come on he can wash it white as snow if you pick it up and drag it back through the snapchat mud again oh I can't get no help today come on if you tick tock your way back into temptation 10 minutes after you leave service before you even get home from camp I ain't got time to preach all that today. I'm gonna come back to it some other time. Guard your heart. What goes into your eyes gets into your heart. What you allow in your ears gets into your heart. Guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. I wanna show you a picture and then I'll read a scripture. This is a picture of my son and another little girl walking in the dark in a crawfish field. I didn't ask her parents for permission to show this picture, so I just showed the back of her head. Beautiful little girl, the prettiest boy that God has ever created on the face of the earth. That is, dude looks just like me with his mama's hair. I mean, the man is beautiful. Got some messed up teeth, we're gonna fix that. It's okay, don't tell him I said that. In five years, we won't be able to let that happen that way. Why, because God's changed? No, because the earth will expose their innocence. And what was pure, and what was holy, and, was, and what was just a friendship based on integrity will have to be guarded by parents who care enough to have real conversations. See, 
The shadow in this picture of these children is not cast by the light that they're holding. Yeah, they're walking through crawfish fields. There's a little baby gator, and where there's a baby, there's a mama. Come on, somebody was like... They're walking through crawfish fields. There's water snakes. There's other things that could get to them. Evil is all around them. But listen to me. Their daddy is in the boat. And it was the light of the father. It wasn't their little flashlights. It was the light of the father that was guiding their way. And watching them and keeping them and guarding them. And God wants to do the same thing for you unless you run from the light and hide in your sin. He wants to restore the innocence that he created for us to have in the Garden of Eden. Let me give you an example of somebody that gave his innocence away because he was bored. King David not in the battle where he was supposed to be, staring at other men's wives from the rooftop that he was not supposed to be on. Your cell phone is your rooftop. Your TV is your rooftop. Your unmitigated access to the internet is your rooftop. If you have more access to evil than you have accountability in righteousness, you are in a bad place. I need to say that again because some of y'all didn't get it. If you have more access to evil than you have accountability in righteousness, you are in the snare of the fowler. You are tempting yourself beyond what you are able don't blame it on God when you fall. David writes this, verse one of Psalm 51. After he committed adultery, after he murdered one of his generals, after he lied and tried to cover up his sin, but he was exposed by the prophet, he says this, have mercy on me, O God. I have an unpayable debt. Because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the sin and the stain of my sins. Verse 2, wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For $35 a month, if you understand this, you can help somebody else understand it. Oh, did he just do a promotional? Yeah, I'm promoting the kingdom of God every time for somebody that makes money every day and is gonna waste it on something else anyways. Absolutely, I am going to promote and give you more opportunities to serve, to share, to give, and to grow. And David, because of the mercy that he was shown, began to show mercy. Verse seven, he writes this, purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Isaiah chapter one, verse 18, God declares through the prophet Isaiah, come now, not tomorrow, come now. I love this, let's settle this. I think God just said come get you some. I don't know how you're reading that. Maybe the redneck in me. Come now, 
Let's settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins were as scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. Thank you, God. Though they were red like crimson, I will make them as white as wool. And then if that weren't enough that we could hear it in the Old Testament, God declares it again in the New Testament. Revelation chapter 7, he says this, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So you don't get to hold yourself captive to sin that Jesus already paid for. And you don't get to receive the salvation that washes you white as snow and take your robe back out and drag it through the dirt again. Closing story, Pastor Larry Stockstill named this missionary whom he's friends with, I can't remember his name, as a missionary to Mexico. He and his wife brought in a prostitute into an apartment. And he began to serve this prostitute. He began to re-robe her, like cover up things that weren't supposed to be shown. Come on, we got so-called followers of Jesus that rather take a picture like this than they would serve God like this. And, and we wonder what's wrong with our nation. He brings her in. He re-robes her. He helps her get clean. He gets her involved in the church because deliverance can take place in a moment, but discipleship takes some time. That's what I love about Louisiana Adult and Teen Challenge. They understand the holistic approach to what God wants to do in someone. She receives salvation. She becomes part of the church. A guy in the church gets to know her for who God created her to be without knowing her past originally. They develop a friendship based on integrity not a dating relationship where they just give their emotions away, throw it on a wall like a spitball and hope it sticks and wonder why they have no stickiness left when they finally meet the person that God created them to be with. But I don't have time to preach that sermon today. Integrity-based friendship. That friendship leads to an engagement. He asked her to marry him. The day of the wedding, she's in the bridal room. She's got on her dress Hair is fixed, makeup is done. Because that is obviously the most important aspect of the whole day. The pastor goes to see her. This man that chooses to see women as daughters in Christ, not objects of their lust. Oh, that we would return to the word of God. He goes to the bridal room to check on his spiritual daughter. She's in her white dress. She's ready for her wedding. And she's sobbing. And he's concerned for the groom. She's not ready. What is wrong? You find a bride sobbing, that is a bad day for everybody. He says, what's wrong? And she looks up at her spiritual father and says, I don't deserve this dress. See, she was taught in Mexico that only the pure, the untouched, the virgin is able to wear a white dress on her wedding day. 
She says, Pastor, I can't wear this. I'm not pure. There's too much. And he said, why don't you wait right here? Let me go down and pray. And as he was praying, I'm sure immediately as I began to think in this story that he began to be reminded of Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18, that he began to be reminded of Revelation 7 verse 13, and he remembered that it's not our actions that purify us, it's the blood of Jesus that washes us white as snow. And he comes back upstairs and he says, I believe that the Lord has given me something specific to say to you. And he tells his spiritual daughter, as I'm telling many of you today, that if the blood of Jesus could wash you white as snow and the robe of righteousness could be placed upon you so that your sins could be made clean and God would give you a table at the marriage supper of the Lamb, then in Jesus' name, you can wear a white dress on your wedding day and you can continue to guard your heart above all else and pursue the presence of God which will purify you from the inside out. Here's what I'm closing with today. Stop focusing on your habits and give God, your heart. Because the Father wants to shine the light.